Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Man, it's a great day. It's a great day. I always say this, I know, I know, but every Sunday is a great Sunday. Anytime the church gets together to worship and celebrate Jesus, that's a good day. And you know what? It can be a good day every day if you choose to worship and celebrate Jesus. That's right. Because God's good regardless, right? God's good when you walk through the house in the middle of the night and step on a Lego. Dude, I'm telling you, whoever invented Legos hated parents. Well, we are, I know, I took a three-week series, and we are in week five of a three-week series. Gosh, it's, I told you, it's a gift. We're, we're in a series called This is Jesus. But before we jump into that, I, I like us to laugh, and I'm not going to tell you a joke this week. I am going to be the joke this week. Last week, I came up and did communion, and I've been using a headset and uh, instead of a handheld, and I forgot to turn it on mute. And so I'm over here standing, talking to Phil, and I'm trying to get the stinking wire undone in my pants because I couldn't move, and it was all over Facebook Live. They heard the whole thing. And so in post-edit, as I'm looking at it, about to put it on our website and stuff, I, I discovered it. So I want you, I, I have the clip here just because it's so funny. I want you guys to enjoy the laugh that I got. So God, this thing caught up in my pants. I can't get it on. To interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Did everybody have a good Easter last week? I love it for real. Everybody have a good time. Stupid thing <clears throat> caught in my pants. That's what I said, literally. Ah, that's all right. It's all right. Still on Facebook, too, if you guys want to go watch it. I'm like, that's too good not to. T-. I'm not going to take that down. I edited it out of um, what went on our website, but on Facebook, I'm like, you know, Facebook's kind of like Walmart, you know, it's fine. Like, oh, come, you can't say that. I, I did, I did, I did. Like, you, you know, like, you almost feel like you need to dress up for Instagram, but Facebook, you can watch, you know, while you're on the toilet. You know, like it's, uh, oh, come on, stop it, stop it, stop that. All right, we're here, we're here, we're here. We are in Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at nine verses, and it's so interesting, usually people just look at the Great Commission, and they don't include, but there's actually two commands given. Matthew 28, if you're looking, 11 through 20, there's two commands given in nine verses. And, and quite frankly, as I was reading this and I was, I was looking at it this week, I, I just wanted to look at the guards report and dissect that. Um, and that starts in verse 11. But then I started looking like it's literally right in front of the Great Commission. And I'm like, the Holy Spirit does things so intentional. When, when he inspired Matthew to write this, and directed him. He did it on purpose. And so what we're going to do today is we're going we're to juxtapose. That's a big Arkansas word. 
Actually, it's not Arkansas. Where they even know what that means in Arkansas. But we're going to compare and contrast these, these two sections of Scripture, these two commands, because one command's given from the enemy and one command's given from Jesus. And what I hope to do today, after we look at them, is I want us to discern who we're listening to. So the title of my message today is, Who's Commanding Me? Who's Commanding Me? Because we're, we all have a commander. Who's commanding me? So, let's get right into it. Starting in verse 11. It says, As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. So obviously, they're talking about the resurrection. So that night, if you, if you guys need some context, this tomb was sealed. The tomb had... It was locked down. The, the Jews wanted to make sure that Jesus' body would not be stolen. So they even had the Roman governor come and put his seal on it to where that if, if anyone tampered with the tomb, they would know, okay? And they wanted to make sure that this person, Jesus Christ, would stay in the tomb. Well, guess what? He didn't. The angel showed up. Rocked their world, shook the earth, moved the stone, and never broke the seal. And, and then Jesus walked out of the tomb victorious, but it scared the living daylights out of the guards. So a meeting with the elders was called. So they actually, some translations say they went to the priest, the religious leaders, the priests. They didn't go to the Romans. Because if they would have went to the Romans, they probably would have been killed. Like Roman, Because these are Roman guards guarding the tomb of a person that Rome put to death. Jesus wasn't on trial by the Jews. He was on trial by Rome. And Rome put him to death. If he would have been put to death by the Jews, he probably would have been stoned. But he was crucified. That's a Roman death. And so on top of that, they asked Rome to guard the tomb. And, and here's, a, here's an interesting fact about um, guarding, if, if, if a jailer in Rome, if, if a Roman jailer ever lost a prisoner, he would instantly be killed. I think the consequences will be worse if a dead person escaped. How much more of an idiot does a governor look like? So, a meeting was called with the elders, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. The, the priest of the Jews gave them a large bribe. Let's keep going. They told the soldiers, you must say, so here's the command. Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. So number one, if you were a soldier in Rome and you were supposed to be guarding the tomb and you fell asleep on the job and this happened, you would die. So this is what they said to assure them. Let's keep going. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. Well, 
I'm going to put context around the governor and the religious leader's um, relationship. The governor didn't care. He, had no, he, he didn't care about this, the, the Jews. He was there as a conqueror. He didn't care about the, the priest's opinion. Oh, we'll stick up for you. Well, like, that might sound good to a normal soldier, but it probably wouldn't spare their lives. Let's keep going. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they, were, and they still tell it today. Obviously, this is about 15 years later. Then the 11. So we, we pick up. There's kind of a break in Scripture, and we get into what is called the Great Commission. It says, Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you love Jesus, and you worship Jesus, but you're wrestling with some stuff in your life, and you're doubting. You're in good company. This is the 11. This is not like all the extra disciples. This is the 11 apostles that were left. And they worshiped Jesus. And some of them were still having doubts in their relationship. You're in good company. But what do we do in that moment? We keep worshiping Jesus. And what did they do? They listened to Jesus. And they did what they were told. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So that means whatever... Whatever you're going through, had to go through God first. Whatever is approaching you, um, God has all authority over it. You don't have to worry like we just talked about. Therefore, because, whenever the Bible says therefore, we have to ask what it's there for. Because Jesus has all authority and power, he tells them, therefore, go. So whose authority and power do we go in? God's. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you accepted Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. When I said it's a command, Jesus said it's a command. We baptize. And it doesn't make you more Christian. It doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't make God like you anymore. That's not what it does. It's outward expression of what the Holy Spirit's already done. And we're declaring publicly, I serve Jesus. It represents I'm dead to my old self and I'm alive to Christ. And if you need to be baptized because you gave your heart to Jesus or you, or you came back to Jesus, let me tell you, please, please, I need you guys to write that on a connect card. And then turn it into us today so we can contact you because we want to celebrate what Jesus has done in you. We really do. This is a big deal. So please write it down because Jesus tells us to. We want to be obedient to him. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's good stuff. You guys, 
have probably heard messages preached on the Great Commission. There's a Great Commission in Matthew 28, the Great Command in, in, in Mark 16. Um, Matthew says, go make disciples. Mark says, go and preach the gospel. And it's both. It's both. There, but there's two commands given here. But the characteristics of these commands are very different. They have different origins. And we need discernment to know who we're listening to. So I want to take a snapshot of these commands that were given in these nine verses. Because the Holy Spirit had them on top of one another. We know, I, I've honestly never heard a message about this. And so... I believe, but they're here for compare and contrast so we can discern who we're listening to. And so I want to, the first thing I want to talk about is the characteristics of Satan's commands. And some of you guys who are um, very particular, like, why is everything caps but Satan? I don't want to give him any more credit. He doesn't deserve capital letters. So I know that's, I do that in my notes too. Like, I don't capitalize him ever. That's weird. I know, I'm weird. It's cool. One command, Satan's command will always lead to condemnation. He's, he tells these soldiers to lie, and it will lead to their death. It will. But it will always lead to uh, condemnation. But following Satan's commands, these soldiers would be severely punished. They lost the body of a person that Rome crucified. And on top of that, it was a tomb sealed with the seal of the Roman governor. Satan will always promise that it will all work out. What, what did they promise? What did they promise? It's all going to work out. Oh, we'll, we'll cover for you. We'll get your money. That's what he does, doesn't he? When, when you listen to a command of the enemy, hey, you could do that. Go, go do that. It'll, it'll, it'll be fine. Oh, yeah, give in to your worry. Give in to your anxiety. Oh, just sit there and cry and self-pity. It'll work out. No, you'll just get further in depression. It won't. So, I want to look at the characteristics. So there's three things I believe that all Satan's commands are rooted in. And so this is, this is the first one. Satan's commands are rooted in deceit. Satan's commands are rooted in deceit. You notice what he did. Right out the gate, he, he said, you must tell them that the disciples came and stole the body. Satan has been playing this game from day one after the resurrection. He always wants to minimize the resurrection of Jesus. He wants you to deny the resurrection of Jesus. He does not want to acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus. Well, why? Well, on top of um, Jesus rose from the dead conquering death, it, it signifies his thorough and utter defeat. The resurrection of Jesus is what thoroughly and utterly defeated Satan. He has no more dominion except what we give him. He has no more authority in your life except what we give him. The only authority the enemy has is what we allow him to have in our life. 
because Jesus thoroughly and utterly disarmed him and defeated him because of the resurrection. So right out the gate, he wants to deny the resurrection, so he tells us to lie. He told them to lie. Tell them the, the disciples, because he knows that our, our, our Christian faith, everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we have no faith. We have no hope. We have nothing. The cross is powerless without the resurrection. So he wants to deny the resurrection. How does it look today, though? Because, you know, he's not whispering in your ear or commanding you to, hey, deny the resurrection. It looks a little different. This is really how it looks, and you'll, have, you'll hear this in Christian faith. You'll hear this in Christian circles. You'll hear this at churches. Evangelism isn't your gifting. God didn't gift you with sharing the gospel, so you shouldn't. Oh, you're gifted in this. Or, um, I'm an introvert. Like, your personality doesn't lend itself to talking to people. That's what it looks like today to get us quiet about the resurrection. Well, I'm gifted in hospitality. Great. I'm gifted in, I don't know, scrubbing car tires. Great. Share the gospel. Jesus didn't put qualifiers on the Great Commission or the Great Command. Is it fair that some people it comes more natural to than others? No. But have you ever played sports that some people it comes more natural to than others? That's not fair either. We don't complain about that. We just say, oh, they're gifted, and then you still go play the sport. But here we just seem to disqualify ourselves with the gospel. That, that, that mindset is demonically charged. Because he wants Christians to shut up about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's deceit. Satan's command is deceit. Well, that's not your gifting. Okay, operate in your gifting and share the gospel. Well, I'm, I'm introverted or I, I, don't, I don't people well. Okay, well, do it awkwardly. They still need to hear the gospel. When I share the gospel, it's as awkward as can be. And it does, even though I can talk to a wall. Like, I've even had conversations with rocks. I say conversations. It's like, it's awkward. It's still awkward, but the reality is we don't do it based on us. I, I do it because he commanded it, and people need to hear about Jesus. Because without Jesus, there's no hope. Without Jesus, they will go to a real hell one day. And so it's, it's not about you and your preference. It's about obedience and loving people. And the enemy, how he, how he gets us to do it today, he, he says that's not your gifting. That, or, or that's not your... And, and Jesus didn't put qualifiers on it for a reason. He didn't say, share the gospel only if you're really good at talking to people. Only if it comes natural to you. Only if you have your, all your ducks in a row and you, you know the Bible thoroughly. We, we just qualify like, oh, you don't know enough scripture to share the gospel. Jesus didn't say you had to. 
It's called a testimony for a reason. You testify about what he's done for you. How did you get saved? The second thing that, that the enemy's command is rooted in is fear. It's fear. The enemy, they were afraid of the consequences. Why do you think they didn't go to the Roman commanders? These were Roman guards. They went to the Jewish priest and told them they were afraid. And, why do you, and then, then they took a bribe. They took a bribe. And then, and then to, to ease their fear, they said, we'll cover for you. They were afraid. The enemy's command will always lead to fear. And it'll make you do things out of fear. You know, here's the thing about fear. This is a really easy way to identify it. Fear always runs to worst case scenario. It always runs to worst case scenario. There is no middle ground with the spirit of fear. You'll be here and then all the way at worst case scenario. There's no reason. There's no logic. There's nothing. It's worst case scenario. And, when, and Satan only operates in fear. He, he operates in fear and he calls it wisdom. He operates in fear and he, and he, and he calls it um, um, discretion or discernment. But it's not. Fear runs to worst case scenario. Fear will make you make decisions based on something that did not happen. Fear will tell you a story in your mind about someone else that you've talked to and it'll create a whole false narrative and then you'll react to that false narrative without even giving that person the benefit of the doubt because you ran the worst case scenario. So now you don't even like that person because you talked to them one time and maybe they had a bad day, but, but you know they, they didn't have time to talk to you or maybe they were in a hurry, but suddenly you have this whole false narrative because fear runs the worst case scenario and then suddenly you're making decisions. Well, I don't want to talk to them. And you're not talking to them even though they might need you in their life because fear runs the worst case scenario Satan's commands only operate out of fear they want to manipulate you into doing something you shouldn't do and the last thing and obviously there's so many more this is a snapshot but Satan's commands are seated and rooted in corruption Notice who he is using to give the command. This is mind-blowing. Because you would think that Satan, you know, like, he would use evil and wicked people. He would use, like, the obvious choice. You know, the, the people that are Satan worshipers and, you know, they, they look the part. No, here... He used religious leaders. He used priests. Because he corrupted them so thoroughly. He corrupted the priests so thoroughly that they were actively working against the gospel of Jesus. And they were preaching and the preaching of God's message of salvation. I want to repeat that. The religious leaders and the priests Satan so thoroughly corrupted them that they were actively working against the gospel of Jesus and the preaching of God's message of salvation, the good news, the gospel. Does that sound familiar? 
to compromise the integrity of the very people that should have been proclaiming the truth? Same devil, same tricks, still doing it. It's happening today in religious leaders and churches. Compromising the integrity of the gospel in order to keep from offending people. Compromising the gospel and the integrity of the gospel to ease a culture who doesn't want to hear of truth. It's almost like Jesus said through the Apostle Paul that in the last days, people would seek out teachers who would only tickle their ears and not tell them the truth. We have a culture that doesn't know how to deal with offense. And because we have a culture that doesn't know how to deal with offense, the pulpit has become silent and the church has become silent because we don't want to offend people with the truth. We want to love everyone, and that is true. We want to love every single person because God loves them. Every single person. He seeks and saves those who are lost. But you can't love people without telling them the truth. And it's corruption. If if corruption enters a pulpit, it's going to enter the church. When we compromise the gospel here, it will be compromised in the pew. And so my job as a pastor is not to compromise the gospel, but to equip the saints for the good work of the gospel. And so how do I do that is I lift up the word of God before you, and I tell you to go read the word of God for yourself. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you to all truth. But we have a generation that doesn't know how to handle truth. Because they're so corrupted, when they hear truth, they run from it. Or they're they're so deceived that they believe a lie is truth. They're calling evil good and good evil. Regardless of what culture does, regardless of what other churches are doing, we still got to call evil evil. And we still got to call good good. And we still got to preach the gospel unadulterated and unfiltered because it's the only thing that will bring hope. The enemy's commands are always rooted in corruption. He corrupted the whole priest system. And think about the very thing that they were doing, the priest. One of God's top ten. We're talking the ten commandments that he wrote in stone with his own finger and gave it to Moses was, Thou shalt not lie. And the priest are saying, Tell a lie. Because they don't fear God. Because they don't love God. Because they don't, they don't have an awe. They lost their awe of God. But that's what Satan's commands do. They corrupt. They get you to compromise. They get you to think, oh, it's okay. Oh, I don't want to offend them. And in this... 
And here, 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 here's something that the enemy will always do with getting you to obey him. He will always bribe you or shame you to obey him. He'll, he'll bribe you with a good time. Oh, it'll be fine. Oh, dude, no one will find out. Oh, you're going to have the time of your life. Yeah, sure, go do that. Whatever it is, it could be drugs, it could be sex, it could be whatever. He'll bribe you with a good time. Or he'll shame you. Dude, you're, if, if, if you don't go along with this, if you, dude, what will they think of you? Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else. Like, they're, they're going to think you don't like them because you don't approve of their lifestyle. So if you don't join, he, he bribes you or shames you. He bribed them. Here's money. Tell a lie. But he shames God does neither of those. Are we operating out of fear? What will they think if I tell them the truth? What if you don't? They actually, you know, every time I've had that, I dude, I, I get it because I have that, that struggle. If I pray with people at the gym, if I pray with people downtown, if I pray with people in Walmart, I'm thinking, what will they think of me? And then I always come back to the point of like, well, I don't care. Like, I have to get there, though, because I might not ever meet this person again. But you know what ends up happening, though? They usually appreciate me telling them the truth more. They say, thank you for telling me that. I really appreciate your honesty. It's always the opposite of what the enemy makes you feel will happen. Because Why? He's the father of lies. He'll tell you this is how they're going to react. And it never happens because he's a liar. People are craving the truth. And we, the church, you and me, have got to share the truth. The priest, they, 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 they played right out the command of Satan. It's rooted in deceit, it's rooted in fear, and it's rooted in corruption. Well, let's look at the characteristics of Jesus' command because they're vastly different, and man, they're awesome. I, I love this. Jesus' commands are rooted in power, or are rooted in love and truth, are rooted in love and truth. The whole gospel message of Jesus is truth and love. That's all it is. The word gospel literally means good news, and it's actually a military term. It's a military term. So what would happen is armies would, you know, like back then they had city-states and city-kingdoms and stuff like that, but they would go out and fight, you know, 30, 40, 50 miles away, and they would go out and fight. And if they won, they would send a courier back to their town that they were defending and that carrier was a carrier of the gospel. They would run home and they would declare, we won, we won't be annihilated. We are, not, we are safe from destruction. And that, 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 that carrier would be declaring the good news, the gospel. That's actually the origin of the word gospel. It's a military term declaring victory over the enemy. And it still is. A military term, because we're the army of God declaring victory over the enemy. Jesus' gospel, though, is so much more powerful. 
the truth is one day we will stand before a living, righteous, holy God. And because the reality is this, we will exist forever. We are going to exist forever, and we will stand before God. When we exit this life, we will stand before God, and we do not have a case in our own, on our own, to say, let me into heaven. We don't. Our only option, if we are not in Christ, is hell. And so what did Jesus do? He paid the price and he ransomed us to God. So some people think that he, he ransomed us to the enemy. No, that's not, that's not true. We had to send that to God. And we couldn't get into heaven. We couldn't have a relationship with God. But Jesus came. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We get his righteousness so when we stand before God, God sees, if we're in Christ, he sees Christ. And we are fully right with God. And then at that point, we get to enter eternal life. But if we're not in Christ and we choose to ignore him on earth, the only thing left for us in eternity is eternal death. So the good news is that Christ paid your debt so that you can have a relationship with God here and now and for eternity. When we believe, that, when we believe in Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he died in our place for our sin on our cross, and that on the third day he rose from the dead, and we ask him to be Lord of our life, we become a new creation in Christ. So when we stand before the judgment seat of God, it's going to look completely different. Because we're in Christ. Once again, the good news is he saves us from annihilation. He saves us. Not for, he, he doesn't save us because, oh, he doesn't want us to go to hell. He doesn't. He wants relationship with us. He saves us for relationship with him. The whole gospel is rooted in this love that God has for us. He wants relationship with us. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish. God's Gospels rooted in love. God's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make them disciples, is rooted in love and truth. You can't say, I love you, and not tell people the truth. Because we will stand before God. And if you don't make Jesus Lord of your life now, you will go to hell. That's the truth. The condition of our eternity is based on whether we kneel now before Jesus and make him Lord. Jesus' commands are rooted in power to obey. He gives us power to obey. What does Satan do? Satan bribes us to obey or he shames us to obey. What does Jesus do? He empowers us to obey. What did he say? All power in heaven and on earth belong to me. Therefore, go. He empowers us to obey. God, but here's the cool thing. God doesn't just save us for eternity. He doesn't just save us from hell. He saves you for something. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, God saved you by his grace when you first believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a free gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for your good deeds um, that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Listen, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. And that for something is sharing the gospel. It is a command, but he saved you and he empowers you. When God asks you to do something, he empowers you to do it. And another difference here is God's commands come firsthand. They always come firsthand. Satan's commands come secondhand through demonic reasoning. When God is about to say something to you, he will speak it directly to you. Like, well, well God, God, I've had people speak into my life about something. Like, yeah, he uses people. But usually, listen, when God speaks to you through people, that's confirmation, not revelation. When I got called into ministry, I knew I was called and then all, when people would speak over my life, they would just confirm what the Lord already revealed. Because when God, he cares so much about you, this command, he didn't leave to chance. He didn't say, okay, Peter, go tell everyone. He gave the command to go. And he still gives commands. God's commands are first hand. Satan's commands come second hand through demonic reasoning. These, these priests weren't demon possessed. These priests weren't weren't like Satan worshipers. They worshiped Jehovah of, of the Bible. But they were so corrupted that the enemy was making them think demonically. And, and then it gave a command that had nothing to do with God. The enemy always goes second hand. And the second thing is, like, not only does he power us to obey this command, but think about the word commission for a second. I want us to break it down. I'm going to do, this might not be grammatically correct, but I want you to think of it with your ears, not with your heads. Sorry, Emily. Co, me and you, mission. Co, mission. Co-mission. He co-labors with us. He invites us. So he's not giving, this is not our, this, this is not the church's mission. This is God's mission that he invites the church into. And because he co-labors with us, he empowers us to do it. We don't go in our own strength. We'll be defeated. We go in the strength of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. And it's a commission. He's like, hey, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. What does he end this with? He sandwiches a great commission between all power 